course, Tom Cruise is in an actual cockpit. Today I'm talking about practical effects versus CGI and Top Gun Maverick. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends welcome to scott's self-indulgent movie podcast i am scott and today i am talking about top gun maverick and that in particular and how it relates to practical effects versus cgi and this is something that uh if you are aware of tom cruise's filmography and what he's been doing just in productions for a while not unsurprising and uh just really takes center stage in a movie like this so without further ado let's get started Ever since his star was slightly dulled due to his public defense and promotion of Scientology and some baffling behavior in interviews, Tom Cruise has reinvented himself as the stunt guy. Whenever a new Mission Impossible movie comes out or goes into production, the audience and viewing public gets to see the incredible stunt that Tom Cruise did for real. It's a turn I've... It's a turn I've highlighted before when addressing actors performing their own action, and an idea that came roaring back watching Cruise and company take on G-forces for real in Top Gun Maverick. And that's before we get to the ideas and themes the film conveys via its story and its action. I'd also argue that this emphasis on practicality is another key aspect to Maverick's appeal. Bearing that in mind, let's look into stunt work, practical versus CGI effects, Tom Cruise himself, and how this all comes out in Top Gun Maverick. So let's start with stunts. When film geeks talk about stunts, they're talking about the actual human beings performing action that bears any semblance of risk. Whether it's someone diving through a window, taking a punch, or tripping in an exaggerated fashion, it takes a certain degree of skill, toughness, and athletic ability to do stunts properly. Traditionally, this is something studios want to avoid actors doing at all costs, because the actor isn't there because they can fight, they're there because they can act. And in the old studio system, where you were counting on actors to be in 10 to 15 movies after the one they're working on right now, you don't want them laid up for seven months or killed because they tried to fall convincingly into a table. Admittedly, this logic has changed over time. While action movies have always encouraged actors to do at least a little bit of their own action or go into weapons training, this went into overdrive after The Matrix, and audiences saw that you could absolutely train up a bunch of disparate actors to do complex kung fu choreography, and audiences became more and more savvy about how movies are made and became better or more attuned to noticing obvious stunt people and stand-ins. This goes double for audiences who grew up watching the incredible stunt work in Hong Kong action movies from the likes of Jackie Chan. There's a thrill to knowing that the performers are doing it for real, and as I've discussed before, means you have more options when it comes to editing, such as more wide shots. Still, the safest thing a studio and an actor can do is not perform the action, and especially never do anything they're not comfortable with. As an all-too-relevant example, Uma Thurman has openly talked about the extreme discomfort and pain she's dealt with since filming a short driving sequence for Kill Bill Volume 2 that ended in an accident. But as action movies try to push limits and show audiences something new, movies have asked more for more for more and more from stunt performers. Modern stunt performers are almost like a hybrid between acrobatic circus performers and stage combat experts, and will do everything from pulling off one of Captain America's acrobatic takedowns to being the stand-in for Gal Gadot when Wonder Woman is slammed into a wall. It's very cool and underappreciated work. While special effects, music, costuming, sound, and editing all have dedicated Oscar categories, stunt work still doesn't. 
Legendary performers like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin, despite producing some of the most beloved films of all time, only got Lifetime Achievement Awards from the Academy. It's a lesson you'd think Hollywood would have learned by now, but they haven't, especially as studios found convincing tools to remove the risk entirely. Which brings us to practical effects versus CGI. CGI has been a double-edged sword for filmmakers. On the one hand, CGI has made a lot of film concepts that seemed unfilmable or impossible to produce possible, whether it is Iron Man's suit or a giant ape versus lizard battle that wasn't accomplished with stop-motion animation or folks in costumes enjoying a glorified slap fight on a soundstage. On the other hand, it's also led to a lot of, and I know this word is loaded, lazy shortcuts. I want to be clear that I'm not referring to a low-budget movie using a CGI backdrop or fake explosion because, as it turns out, blowing stuff up for real requires a lot of time and money, but rather how large-scale projects like some of the Marvel movies and other CGI-driven blockbusters don't look or feel real or quickly age as the technology continues to improve. This is where practical effects always have the advantage, because capturing something that was physically done by a bunch of people with actual objects will always look and feel more real. Imagine if Mad Max Fury Road's frenetic chase sequences were filled with cars that were cut in half and filmed on a soundstage, and you've got some idea. It's also why so many action movies from the 80s and early 90s have aged so well. Minus a few obvious green screenshots, there's almost nothing in Die Hard that they didn't do for real in one way or another. And this is something that Tom Cruise has taken to heart. Which brings us to Tom Cruise, Action Guy. For a lot of people, Tom Cruise's persona as America's version of Jackie Chan has been his defining attribute for about a decade. In particular, around the fourth Mission Impossible movie, Ghost Protocol. But Cruz's daredevil antics began long before that. For as long as I can trace, if a movie has involved some semblance of action, Cruz has tried his damnedest to do it. The wire scene and rock climbing sequences in the first two Mission Impossible movies are all Cruz, and he's doing a lot of the driving and stuff like Days of Thunder. And it's been something of a masterstroke to maintain his relevance and make sure his movies stand out. After a parade of CGI armies, here comes Tom Cruise on late-night shows with footage of him being strapped to a plane or dislocating his ankle after genuinely jumping between buildings, complete with co-stars who will talk about how wild it is to witness firsthand. And while he's never said it out loud, at least not to my knowledge, Cruise wants to push the limits of physical action performance, not CGI. And Top Gun Maverick loves this idea. Which brings us to, it's not the plane, it's the pilot. This line is as close to as Top Gun Maverick gets to a thematic summary or an in-movie tagline. It's something Maverick says multiple times to, to his pilots during training, so much so that Rooster throws it back at him when they're both shot down behind enemy lines and about to be in a dogfight with technologically superior foes. Which is a very interesting take, considering shifts in the military that also appear in the film. Considering Maverick and his team's jobs, pilots, you might think that the movie would be all about the shift from jet fighters to drones. And there have been a number of pretty good movies addressing the different human costs that come from drone warfare via traditional plane warfare. For instance, Good Kill is all about how close and personal many of these drone strikes can end up feeling for their pilots versus the anonymity of a bombing run. Instead, Top Gun Maverick is all about refuting human limitations. While the specter of drones or automated weapons are omnipresent in the movie, for instance, Ed Harris's general is described as a proponent of them who wants to see pilots grounded, and the SAMs that litter the team's approach and exit, Cruz's Maverick is portrayed as the one man who is still trying to push what pilots can do. 
Of course, everyone thinks his approach is crazy, and he even has a final meeting with Iceman, who tells him that the newbies need to be shown what's possible. Cue up Maverick completing his te planned test run completely unauthorized in less time than he gave his pilots, an action that not only gives the pilots confidence, but also puts Mitchell on the team. Now, this is a theme Cruz has addressed in other movies. Ghost Protocol, in particular, is all about how humans doing the intelligence work, developing relationships, and fighting are the most important in agencies, are the most important asset agencies like the IMF have. In that respect, Top Gun Maverick slides right in. Don't use the tech as an excuse, in this case an older jet fighter model, and work within it as best you can. But up against so many other movies that feature giant CGI air battles or cockpits that are obviously up against a green screen, here comes Tom Cruise to show you you don't need all of that. And it's much, much more fun that we did it this way, isn't it? By the film's end, even outgunned by two superior foes, we know how Top Gun Maverick is going to turn out. Everyone is coming home alive, and Maverick and Rooster will take out their enemies with a plane that was probably out of commission as long as this franchise was. Because the only limit is what Tom Cruise is willing to do. This has been Scott's Off Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Off Indulgent Movie World, with the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.